Black neighborhoods are over-policed, so of course they have higher rates of crime. And white perpetrators are undercharged, so of course they have lower rates of crime. And all of those stupid stats you keep using are operating off a small sample size. So shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm just going to start recording now. So is this our first episode? Let me just like, like, we're... Hi, my name is Kenya Lachey, or just Ken, whichever one, I don't care. Um, 21 years old, recent grad, undergrad. Um, I grew up in Western New York uh, to a very, very Southern father and a very, very city mother. A uh, really big family, six kids all together, three pets. And I don't know, growing up in my household, I think we all kind of evolved in like the same speed, meaning like we all started out pretty conservative, um, mostly because of uh, very Southern Baptist ideologies. And then we all kind of, within our own speed, just kind of like became more educated and more progressive. My name is Amelia Roque. I have no middle name. Um, I grew up in Boise, Idaho, uh, very predominantly white space to um, my immigrant mother, Josefina, who is from Mexico, and my father, who was born here, um, both brown. Um, but I think for the most part, I don't know, growing up in Boise was pretty... I don't know, I'm still like revisiting a lot of childhood, <laughs> I guess. Um, my sister and I, I think, are kind of the only ones right now in our family who are more progressive. And I mean, I don't usually come back to visit Boise very often. Um, this is like my first time since like Christmas of 2018, I think, something like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know, I guess we can, you know, throughout the podcast, we'll continue to talk about how that's kind of shaped me and like <laughs> made me want to, um, do this and like feel like there is still like such a huge need for this kind of thing. Um, my name's Lizzie. Uh, I was tech, I mean, I was born in Portland, but I technically grew up kind of all over Southern Oregon, Northern California, but, um. Most notably, like before college, I'm from this little town called Weed. <laughs> Literally, weed like the plant. Um, yeah, I grew up pretty much just living with my dad, who is from Afghanistan. So, very um, brown father. And then also, my mom is white and she's Morgan. Um, yeah, we grew up like pretty progressively I would say um I'm kind of the only one that I know of uh, other than like my sisters who are kind of more outspoken about specific issues um I also identify as queer um and yeah I think we can definitely unpack a lot of like Amelia said um kind of how we grew up and how all of that stuff shaped us um into who we are today Hi, I'm Heather. I, like Kenya, grew up in Western New York, 
And that is currently where I still am, even though I would love to get out of here very soon. I grew up in a very predominantly white society, thanks to my location and just um, where I am and the school that I went to. My parents are both white, and it's not that they ever hid anything from my siblings and I. Like, they were never ones to try and force an opinion onto us at all. But I think the downside of that is um, the fact that I think because they never really forced anything onto us as, like, a way to think, especially in... Um, what we're going to be talking about in this podcast, it shows that I feel as though I am maybe one of the only very progressive people in my family. Um, I know that other people in not like my immediate family also share the same views that I have, but I think a majority of my family also is kind of like the go with the flow type of people who don't really have the knowledge of understanding why they need to keep pushing for certain rights for other people. Uh, So like we've all been saying, it's just a lot to unpack, but it'll be fun and I'm excited to do it. Yay, me too. Um, I also want to preface with this with saying that like none of us are really experts on anything other than our own experiences. Um, Of course, if we're going to talk about a topic on here that, you know, deserves attention, we're going to research it um, to the best of our ability and and try and find as many um, unbiased or as little bias as possible sources in order to do so. So welcome to You're Not Special, We're All Racist, which is so silly because when I when I initially said that and I've been thinking about this and I'm like is there even difference between these two things um but when I first said it I was kind of like directing it at folks who got really upset like genuinely angry and upset at being called a racist not understanding that it's so embedded in our system it's physically impossible for anybody who exists in our society today to not have an implicit bias. Like it just doesn't exist. Um, I do, however, I don't believe that um, black folks can be racist. It was originally directed at folks who would get really upset and it was kind of, I don't know, in my eyes, like a way of being like, calm down, you're not the main character you're not, no one's coming for you individually. Like you're not that important. We're all living in this existence. And then the other day in our group chat, when we were talking about it, we were kind of talking about our own selves and like the own, our own kind of behaviors that contribute to things. And Liz was (laughs) trying to be funny and said, you know, you're not special. We're all racist. And I was like, yeah, we, yeah, you said that. Oh shit. Okay. I was like, yeah, no, like, even us for trying to do things every day, trying to be better every day. Like we're not special. We're all racist too. And it's the default. And we need to start being incredibly critical of how we live our lives because it does have an impact 
on other people and I think we're seeing that more than ever during this very real pandemic. I wish people could see or like like <laughs> like know that we are recording over Zoom because like on my little camera I'm like shaking my head so hard I feel like it's <laughs> So let's get started on today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk about uh cancel culture. Well, I think like like I we've all been really talking about this topic a lot and I know something personally for me that I've discussed with everyone multiple times is the idea that um I don't know how else to like say this in terms of like I don't know maybe you guys can help me like phrase this better but like I've been seeing a lot of like articles and like Instagram like posts from like other research just kind of talking about the idea of um like white fragility and cancel culture and how they can kind of go more hand in hand than we think um and also the idea of just anger in general and of course no one here would ever tell um a BIPOC how to control their anger or use their anger or replace their anger in terms of what's going on right now. Um, but in terms of white fragility, I feel as though I've been seeing a lot of people who have chosen to take the route um, of just sharing different articles, sharing information, but rather than really trying to educate another person on why allyship is very important, it becomes quite a performance and there's this tactic of belittling that comes into play where people choose to demean other people. Usually, from what my experience has been, it's from one white person to another white person um and that's where my stance comes in of like why just you know i don't understand where the idea of belittling another person can um make you feel like you're doing something if that makes sense what i say to those people is you're not special we're all racist i mean like essentially that's what it boils down to it's like i don't know i was listening as you as you as you four know or three know there's four of us total as you as all four of us know <laughs> um i love Brene brown i think game research is incredibly uh necessary and learning emotional intelligence is like so important and she recently did a podcast talking about how shame is not a social justice tool however that there is also a difference between feeling shame and being shamed mm -hmm. and that those things are very different and i think a lot of the times when we feel like we're being shamed it's very easy to get defensive and we stop listening to understand and we start listening to reply instead and I think 
it's one of those things it's it's just gonna be like a habitual thing that we need to keep practicing of like taking a step back and being like is this helpful because even like with this podcast I'm I'm constantly thinking like is this helpful like is this are we helping it's because it's, it's so hard to be like facing all these fucking crazy things going on in the world and you're like what do I do but it's even more important to stress that doing nothing or like creating apathy because you're so overwhelmed with everything is so not okay (laughs) like that's not okay and I think there's a difference between like holding people accountable and making people feel bad that they're not doing enough yes and like I know that you said too um a couple days ago you were listening to another podcast by Brene Brown I almost just said her first name like I'm friends with her um (laughs) But you were saying how she said something about how self-pity is not a, a I don't, was a it a valid coping like a mechanism? Poor, it's a poor coping mechanism. Yes. Mm. And I find that to be also, like, really interesting and in how it can kind of tie into this idea of cancel culture because people are without, you probably without even realizing it, are subconsciously making the issue about themselves all over again. And um, that's kind of where, like, a lot of this comes into play, where people are just literally deleting other people in real life and on social media, thinking that they're taking a stance when they're actually just using performance allyship to show that they're better than someone else without taking the time to communicate and research why they feel the way they feel. And I think that's also something like Brene Brown talks about in her book, The Gifts of Imperfection, how important vulnerability can be, and especially times like this, where we need to understand that being uncomfortable is extremely valid and okay but we need to use times like being uncomfortable to embrace our vulnerability and talk about our stances on things and be open to correction especially from people of color who experience this every single day and it's just again you know no one's special we're all racist and we just need to be open to making mistakes and being better, you know? And cancel culture is just how you said, Amelia, it's a defense. And it's just, it happens with people in the public eye, it happens with friends, it happens with family. But I would say don't cancel someone until you've tried your best. Like, like when I was first introduced to cancel culture, it was by the Me Too movement. Um, and I think cancel culture, I think it can be a very, very powerful tool when it's not abused. Like, like with Me Too movement, like what other, like it was originally supposed to be because like what other power do you have? Like someone has literally taken a piece of your life. Like, what do you do? The only thing that like, or at least in like personal experience, the only thing that like I've known to do is just like go and like speak out against it. Like. To me, when I think of cancel culture, I think of it like a subscription to something, and you cancel your subscription, whereas, like, the thing isn't obliterated from existence. You're just pulling your support and your funding 
away from this thing that you know is openly detrimental to other people. And so I think with cancel culture, it can be very effective in the way of just like, okay, now we are no longer going to be supporting, um, like, what's, what's an example? Like, like, like R. Kelly. Like, stop supporting him. Stop listening to his music. Stop dealing with his merchandise. And it's not murdering the man, but it is pulling your funny and taking away his public influence, basically. So it's like other people can look at that and see that, okay, well, what he did was fucked up. And it moves accordingly. However, I think cancel culture has become too... I don't like using the word toxic because it has such a broad meaning now, but it's become too toxic. It's become a way for people to literally ruin the lives of other people even if it, it could be something as small as just like a difference in opinion or like when something happens like 10 11 12 years ago and then someone in an argument digs that up from the nether regions like i am not the same person that i was when i was 11 or 10 like it's impossible and if you are still the same person go to a doctor so you just like go see therapy but it's just like those using stuff from back in the past to quote unquote cancel somebody, I think is one of the dumbest things ever. Because like your your opinions are gonna change as you get older. Your mind thoughts are gonna get what? Your <laughs> your thought mind thoughts are <laughs> big brain. But, um, your thought processes are gonna change. And I think to try and cancel someone over something that happened years ago just doesn't it doesn't help it doesn't help educate anybody it just like Amelia said it just shames someone it's being like well now I can't speak out because if I start speaking out about something they're gonna pull up some shit that I'm not proud of doing from like middle school and the whole world's gonna be like oh my god that's crazy and then even if you were trying to do something positive like your whole thing your whole platform or whatever you use is just gone like um uh, what what is TikTok? Uh, Rosa, Rosa, you fucking lying. Let me see. Come so, here. <laughs> yo, do come here. So like, like everyone knows Rosa. Rosa's like pretty positive influence. Everything just fun, happy times, just like funny shit, right? But someone posted something that they said like, I think like seven years ago, where they used the N word, and it was just saying like a bunch of wild shit. And we were like, oh, my God, that's fucking disgusting. Like, it was disgusting, some of the things that they said. But it was just like, this stuff happened years ago. And they're clearly not the same person. Like, right now, their platform is used for comedy, positive influences. And it's just like, to try and to defame the positive light now is just too much. Cancel culture has become, like, overwhelming. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to look at, like, like what you said, if it's something someone said, like, years ago, like, I feel like the time people are going to spend, like, scrolling, like, that deep in somebody's, like, Twitter or something like that, like, you could probably just be using that time to educate your damn self. Like, I think I saw something come up with, um, I'm pretty sure it was Doja Cat, and everyone was saying the same thing. They were like, she's, she's canceled, because I, I mean, I was like, I'm a fan of her music, but then, like, people were, were telling me, um, like things that happen like yeah like like nine or ten years ago or something but it's like you do have to recognize that there are some of these people that have have shown 
like growth within that time. Like none of us have been perfect. If you want to look back at us like 10 years ago, like I would say my own personal amount of change, like the biggest amount of change probably happened within the last like three years of my life. You know, like you, you want to look back before that, like it's, unless it's really relevant and it's something other than, than someone said, or it's like something that should, should be acknowledged and then like moved on and they have like the right to maybe like share their piece on it or just, or apologize. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, everyone is learning and we're all taking this time and every single day, like we, we will acknowledge like, um, thank you. I did not know that I can now proceed with like, how I'm going to keep going now that I know this information. And like, that's what it is. Like everybody is. Well, yeah. Like, and that brings up a really good point that like cancel cultures also brought about this era of statement apologies. Like when Paula D like, you know, just like, (laughs) sorry, fan base. Yeah. I did that my bad I wasn't thinking you know and just these like fake ass apologies and it's like I don't want to hear apologies like not not gonna fix anything either you're sorry or you're not and I will know based on your actions in the future Mm -hmm. exactly and that's kind of why we should leave that open I don't know it I don't know I just some people don't I don't want to say some people don't deserve a chance but I think we need to, like, look at how people are receiving information mm-hmm. and what they're doing with that. And if they choose still to not change behavior, then okay, like, you know, wipe your hands clean, step away, you know, stop wasting your energy. Um, but also, in a day-to-day thing, we don't have that much power over each other. You know, like, cancel culture on a big scale and like social media, like it, it's like boycotting Goya, like Goya is canceled. In case it, no right. one canceled. Um, <laughs> don't buy that shit. Um, but you know, collectively we can have an impact on Goya. Um, you know, if someone posts something on, you know, who's like just someone I like used to go to high school with or something like, and if I personally cancel them, like, that makes no impact on their life. Mm-hmm. No, right. No bearing on their life because they're still hanging out with the same like-minded people. They're still keeping the same view, whatever, whatever. That's all well and fine. And then you think of, like, I don't know, our social justice system and the way they utilize cancel culture to literally cancel somebody out of society. And that allows them as we all know, literally no room for growth because it's a vicious yeah. fucking cycle and it just does it just doesn't work anywhere unless you're boycotting Goya. <laughs> and like that's and why I, and right, yes. And Hobby Lobby. Um but I feel like I feel like that's like a really interesting point because when you think about it People are so terrified of cancel culture because everyone thinks that they can get to the like the level of where they can be canceled out of society and they can be canceled out of their friend groups, out of their jobs, etc. Because of just the way that people use it, 
but like in the sense that it's like people like aren't giving them like you said like the opportunity to educate themselves it's like cancel culture doesn't allow you to learn as much as you're just like shut up yes question for everyone do you think it's i mean like we're seeing things like on social media now with people like being overtly racist and uh, it's a little yikes but um do you think you know someone getting fired for making like crazy racist comments on facebook or social media do you think that's accountability or do you think that's cancel culture i think it depends on when it was said and whether or not the company or boss or team or whatever actually confronted the person about the issue to see whether or not the opinions have changed depending on how long ago said thing was said or if they can attempt to get the understanding and like have a conversation. Um, I feel as though it's kind of half and half depending on how the company goes about addressing it um it depends on like the like if someone is like still continuously doing it and like maybe an employer like already is like somewhat aware of it but it hasn't become like a big issue yet that they feel like they don't need to address or like maybe like they don't have like this like backing of, of people who are like convincing them like this is this is really messed up like what this person's saying but um yeah i think it really um if it is something that was like uncovered like years ago and this person has actively changed I don't think so, but I think like if it's if it's like pretty pretty recent and this person is like um, doing that, then that's definitely like a, an issue that they have embedded within themselves that they have the capability of even saying those things. Like it also depends on like what was said because it, like some things are extremely hateful and like even though you said them like a lot, I mean it it really yeah it depends. But I think it's like a fifty fifty. Like Heather said, I think it's like a 50-50 accountability and um, shaming <laughs> because, like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking the concept of, like, Black Twitter, which is, like, chef's kiss. Amazing. I love Black Twitter. But, um, and also, like what Lizzie said, uh, part of it is just, like, one, how long ago were these things said? What magic, like, how bad was it? And then also, I think it also comes down to, like, the company's image, its branding, its target audience. Like, if you are a non-Black person, you work in a Black-owned business, and your demographic is predominantly Black, yet you're using the N-word as, like, an intentional slur, you should not be working there. <laughs> like, yeah. you are actively going against that company's image. You're automatically going against that company's branding. And you're making it very clear to your company and to your target demographic that you don't care about them. So why are you working there? You know? Um, I think it also is like, like it can be accountability, especially if it's like, like with everyone who now is like just being outward forwardly racist because they're like, listen, if I'm going to be racist, I'm going to be loud about it. And I'm like, well, thank you for being loud about it. <laughs> contact your CEO. That's what's exactly. <laughs> Millie and I were actually having a conversation about that like yesterday about people who are like um, 
politely racist. Oh, the different flavors. Different flavors. Oh, yeah. I love this. Yeah. We're like, every about place this. has a different flavor. We've lived, I've lived in about yeah. different places, all with very different flavors of racism. Let me tell you, let me tell you, Portland does not taste good. I saw this, uh, this thing. It was like the, the, like the feds are here. This is what, day like 50, which my partner is a journalist and she told me that the longest protest in Portland was, I might be wrong, but it is around 39 days. And it was like, basically, um, it's like Occupy Wall Street. That is, that's like a little over a month, but it's like, okay, this one's, this one's bigger, but like, I don't even want to say it's like toned down. Cause I feel like we're still like, we're still going, but it's like these little secret things are, are happening like behind our backs. These people are coming in and like they may or may not be, be armed. The governor made a rule that was like, we, you can't use tear gas unless like something specific. And they were like, so we can, so we can use it. I think the, the funniest thing that happened was this like video that um, my girlfriend showed me on Twitter. And it was like, normally that they're, they're like speaking into a microphone. They're like, this is the Portland police, like, please stand down. Like, they're really aggressive about it. But this one night, they must have been a little tired because all they said was just, like, can you guys just just get off the fence? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's going on over here. <laughs> can you please just sit down? Uh, is Portland getting a lot of um, uh, anti-protesters? Um, yes, there is a group here, a hate group. They're called, I mean, I don't even want to say their name. But um, they you know deserve the time. <laughs> deserve the time on this podcast. <laughs> they're around, you guys, and they're they're. It's very scary. Somebody was killed the other night. I mean, a few protesters. Um, I was walking in one last night, and we were reminded by this um, organizer that like she's like, don't stand in the back. There's been people driving their cars in and like things like that. And I was like pretty much almost gonna have an anxiety attack, but I was like, let's keep going. It's really important that like. We are here in this, like, far east Portland. This place is, like, I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of history behind, like, that's actually a place where um, uh, black people were pushed out of their homes and they were, like, so we were just being reminded that, like, this is a place where the majority of people of color live over there, but also the scariest white people do, too. So, oh, my God, we forgot about our rule. I know, I know. I just yeah, know. I didn't even explain it. No, that's okay because we weren't we weren't being mindful. <laughs> well, I will <laughs> account myself for that mistake, and we're just gonna move. Oh, on. it's not even that much of a mistake. Like it's not something we like slap ourselves on. because again, okay, we've made a rule <laughs> on this podcast that we are going to try and abstain from using the word white people because people get really mad you guys like people get very upset when you use the term of white people and when i say white people i don't always necessarily mean people who are white i do however mean people who have allowed whiteness to become their default so much so that they are negatively impacting whether it's consciously or subconsciously are a tool in this whole um, oppressed system. And, you know, like before, it, it is our default. It's so embedded in our system. It's literally in everything that we do. But eat, like, literally all of the things. Um, and we just need to be really critical of that. 
and I kind of hate that we have to, you know, water it down for the white people or the people who are affected by whiteness. It sounds like it's a, a disease, which it kind of is. Um, but that's what we mean. And if you hear us say white people, we don't mean people who are white. We mean people who are either, who are actively, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, um, contributing to systemic racism in America. And you guys know who you are. Just having having a large impact. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> you know who you are. The ones who are quick to defend you. Right. That's, 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 <laughs> if you're feeling a little upset about that statement, um, it's you. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there are different flavors of racism out here, and I think that's why people, some folks affected by whiteness, don't want to believe that it exists because they're like, where, where, and then you're like, right here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and there, and a little bit there, and right here too. Oh, and right behind you. Don't look now. It's right, right. behind you. Over you. <laughs> and they're and like, they like put their eyes into their skull, and they're like, I don't see it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I did Those see this. Can't help. Those people. I feel like it's a. I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for certain what it is. I feel like what what I've run into when trying to discuss this with people, it's, I feel like people don't want to, because it's not like, yes, black and indigenous folks are the ones who are most oppressed in this country, period. Like no person of color can, can deny that or try and, and be like, well, I'm also a person of color. I'm also, no, you are not. Cops are not coming into your house and killing you in your sleep. Like, that's not happening to you. Okay, that's happening to black women. It's happening to black... Like, that's not happening to, to a lot of POCs. Um, and we all play different roles. It's all it's all a scale. We're all racist. And, um... Uh, where was I going with this? It's you're not special. <laughs> not special. Um, not special. Oh, and I feel like... Like, for me, it's weird because it's like I'm simultaneously contributing to but also oppressed by all of these systems. And it's very, like, difficult to, like, consciously navigate. And it's, like, very draining to consciously navigate, but it's very necessary to do so. And I feel like what sucks about it is, like, having to admit hurt while also admit hurting. And how do we do less of that? You know what I mean? Like, it's not, and I and I think it's a lot of the time people don't want to admit that they've been hurt. Like, all these patriotic individuals who are overcome with whiteness and all of these things don't want to admit that their country doesn't give a fuck about them if they're poor, if they, you know, like, they don't, guys, they don't care about you. Like, I don't know how to explain to you that, like... Like all the ones who are still like, I just thought we were all Americans, and it's like it, they don't, don't care. Imagine, imagine if being American was like actually what it a personality trait, be. right? Like, like can you imagine if like the whole land of the free, home of the brave? Can you imagine if like that shit was actually true? Oh my god. I, I probably mean, wouldn't it is for it some people. <laughs> it, is for, it is for very few people. I drive by this sign all the time. 
like, because I'm post-mucing a lot, and I drive down this road, and I drive past this sign all the time, and I always get really confused. I don't know. I don't even know how I feel about it, but it says, freedom isn't free. Correct. And I'm like, yes. But like, what do you, what do you mean? Because this is like a man yeah. flag, bonnet, like, you know, that kind of house. And so I'm just like, so you're, so you agree. Slavery still exists. <laughs> so you're right. right. It's like you agree that money comes down to why people are still in prison, right? We're so about. we're on the, the same question, right? Honestly, if we could have effectively canceled this entire country, I'm here for it. But just like, Piggybacking off of the freedom isn't free thing. This is something that I learned also in um, my History 199 with Professor Durfee. Shout out, love you, dude. Um, the American dream is very, very, like Amelia said, it's only available to a very small demographic of people. Um, and I think it's just, I think this country is so backwards in terms of like, defining what they want for literally anything like the concept of race itself race it literally the concept of race in terms of skin color did not exist until white supremacists and the founding fathers needed a reason as to why they were persecuting other people and they couldn't use like oh it's because we don't agree with the religion because literally the whole reason America was founded was to be free from religious persecution. So like, so we can't say that it's because they don't follow the same gods because that's why we founded this place in the first place. Oh, I get it. They look different. They have different cultures as to what like they believe in, how what they follow in their customs and traditions. So what we can do is we can say that we are the chosen people of God because we look like this meanwhile these savages look like that so we can use that as an excuse but then when people start being like oh well okay well what about like asian people they have similar skin tones to you oh no 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 because because um you have to be from this area in the world and that's how you actually become white or this is how you actually are becoming the superior race and it's like oh well i am born from this area, I have this skin tone, my parents are just different, or my parents just have, like, different lineage or whatever, and it's like, ooh, actually, okay, you know what? And it just keeps, it keeps just, like, adapting and adapting to only aid a very, very small group of people, which is why this country doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. It, it make drives it sense. me nuts when I hear people being like, why do you always have to bring, great? like, like, I'm a bummer for talking about systemic racism. <laughs> you know what? Oppression's kind of a bummer. It's kind of a bummer, dude. And I'm kind of bummed out about it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you know. And they're just like, oh, why do you always have to bring race into this? Why is it always a race thing? And I'm like, listen. Because your grandfather made it about race. <laughs> white people invented race, okay? I didn't, I didn't start this conversation. I want to end it. I want it to be done. But I didn't start it, okay? white folks did for power and privilege and you know what if race doesn't matter why is it on every fucking document i ever have to fill out for america yep. like why um, i don't know i feel like there's so much there's so much information 
on the internet, real life, factual evidence, information on the internet that anyone has access to. Literally anyone. Children are getting smartphones at the age of, what, 13 now? Everyone has this information available to them. Whether you choose to believe it or not is a whole other story. And if you don't, that I'm sorry, like, I have nothing left to say to you. Nothing I say is going to convince you. And that's why I think it's really important for white allies to talk to their white friends and their white families and be like, your neighborhood friendly white person just coming in to talk about how oppression is a bummer. <laughs> your non-threatening friend. <laughs> I'm gonna use this and I'm gonna go into cancel culture for specifically like of like cancel culture in terms of like if a celebrity does something, trigger warning, in the case of like sexual assault, rape, um, murder. Because I have even family members who try to excuse actions like this because a person is famous. And they're like, oh, well, that's their own personal business. You know, that's not stuff for us to see. That's their own personal, whatever they do in their personal business, that's on them. And, you know, just, you know, I, I like to separate the artist from the person. And I'm like, that's fucking stupid. And you can't, that doesn't make sense. That is not a real thing. You can't have the artist without the person. You know who is the artist? The fucking person who did it. So <laughs> I, have, I have a lot of thoughts. I have opinions. I think in terms of canceling a celebrity who did commit a heinous crime, such as sexual assault, rape, or murder. I feel like they do not deserve the platform that they have. They do not deserve the wealth that they have. They do not deserve the support that they have. I understand that people can change. However, if you are a grown-ass adult, like let's say Chris Brown, for example, with the whole, like, not even just with Rihanna, but there have been multiple allegations against this man in recent years, in recent months, maybe even. I don't even know. But there are people, the reason he still is so popular and the reason that he is still so widely accepted in society is because people have this stupid-ass narrative of just, I'd like to separate the artist from the person. That is not effective because that what that says is that as long as I have money and as long as I have power and I have backing, I can literally do whatever the fuck I want and I will receive no consequences except for a small group of people being upset at me. And that's and that is not okay. If yeah. your if your next door neighbor should not get away with it, neither should Chris Brown. If you're fucking the dude who walks his dog down the street, he can if he's not allowed to get away with it, neither is a fucking basketball player. I don't care what your income is, I don't care what your status is. I don't give a shit if you're a fucking priest. I don't care. If you are in, in your right mind, made the decision to go out and hurt somebody like that, and you already know, and you, you made this decision knowing that you will still have support because you are rich and you openly went out and did that, and you can give like a 30 second apology video and be like, oh my God, I was just so long ago when it was like fucking last weekend. Right. I wonder if it's oh. <laughs> a chicken and egg situation. Mm -hmm. thing. Like what comes first? Your, right. your, your knowledge of knowing that you can do anything and get away with it 
or your want to do all of these terrible things and then needing power and money to achieve it and be able to get away with those things. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. whole Holly weird, that shit, like scares the fuck out of me. Jeffrey Epstein, his whole island, burn it to the ground. I think going back to like the what came first, the chicken or the egg, in terms of like uh, people knowing that they have money and knowing they can get away with it versus um, wanting to get away with it. And just like, I think I think it's a weird combination, and media has a lot to play in it. Um, like, like let's say this is like a celebrity's like first offense of something, and it's like something minor. I don't know, like just just some just think of something minor, something like misdemeanor or something that like has whatever, right. something minor, but they were able to get away with it. I think that kind of like plants a seed of just like, huh. It's, it's like when um, a kid gets in trouble and all they get is, like, time out. Right. It's like they adapt and they learn. They're like, oh, okay, well, I can do something bad, and I know that I will just get time out or some variation of, like, this same punishment. So, like, once uh, once someone like that, like, has that, and, again, it, there's so many factors that lead into it, like what kind of mindset, upbringing, um, if you genuinely are just, like, an evil person. Like, there's a lot of different things. So this is very, very surface level what I'm speaking on here. But um, just like, so they'll see it and be like, oh, I was able to get away with this and everything because this person who pulled me over or whatever recognized me from my TV show or something, or I had enough money to just like bail myself out. I think when you see that happen and you see it recurring over and over and over again, it breeds this idea that, okay, you have status, you have power, you have money, you have a get out of jail free ticket always, right? And again, this is very, very surface level. So, of course, there's, like, a bunch of different variations. But, like, I don't know. I think that as a celebrity, I don't know. I don't know. No, I, I Someone yeah. take that and run with it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, um, no, but, yeah, I mean, like, the more I think about it, like, it's this whole idea in my brain, this is how I'm processing it. It feels like when you have those celebrities, you know, regardless whatever, like, group of people, it's going to be a smaller group of people than the people who are actually supporting them. The group of people being, like, you know, fucking cancel Bill Cosby, cancel Kevin Spacey, cancel, like, Chris Brown, cancel 6 9 like, cancel all these people. Ultimately, those people still have, you know, they have money, they have power, they still have support from other fans. Right. And I think that alleviates a lot of the I'm a bad person-ness in them. And I think it's easy to to think that you're not really doing anything wrong if not enough people are telling you. But it's, it's also very, you need to be like on a smaller scale, I guess, in like day-to-day life and holding people accountable versus canceling them. I think it's, it's important to make the distinction of like, hey, this behavior that you're doing is not okay. Right. Here's, I, I also, uh, you know, uh, participated in that kind of behavior, but now I learned this, you know, X, Y, and Z, and now I no longer do that behavior. Instead, I do this because it doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Instead of being like, hey, you're a bad person for doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like what Brene Brown says. 
In order to show and have compassion, you need to demonstrate that you are comfortable in your vulnerability to give compassion and make other people comfortable with their vulnerability, such as giving an example as to how you relate to a person and what you did to overcome it and be better so they feel comfortable to do the same thing, rather than just telling them they're a fucking idiot. It doesn't work. Yeah, because ultimately, I mean, like, race, racism, being racist is a behavior. It's not, unless you are affiliated with a hate group, like the KKK or something, like, it's not an identity. Being a racist is not an identity. It's behavior, and we can change behavior. It's not impossible to, like, check yourself before buying something off of Amazon or, like, you know, is there somewhere else? There's other places. Like, another thing you said Kenya, like, you know, if these people need to be held accountable, then so do, like, celebrities and stuff. The celebrities are not the only celebrity, like, they're not the only artists who ever existed. Like, there are other artists that have similar music who haven't, trigger warning, raped women, um, or, like, committed, you know, there are artists out there, you just don't take the time to find them, or support them, and instead, you know, you're supporting not so great people i also believe part of it is a guilt thing in terms of like not wanting to admit that things have that these things have happened i feel like in this like i don't know why i think about this earlier but um like have you ever like supported a group or an artist or something and you found they did something like fucking awful and then you feel bad to like oh my god like i put money in this person's pocket like i supported the shit out of this person I feel like some of it, like the denial of how bad their action could have been comes from like not wanting to admit that like, yo, I helped them get as successful as they are. No matter like, even if you're only like literally 0.2% of their fan base, there is like a little bit of guilt that comes with it. It's just like, oh my God, this person was like, I was bumping Chris Brown. Yo, his first album, Yo, bro, it was fire. The middle school dances? Oh, run it. Yeah. Just, ooh. (laughs) See, I almost started singing it. And it's just like, like, when you put so much support into a a person or a project or a group and you find out that they're fucked up, it's like, oh, shit. You have, like, multiple options but the main two options I see are either just ignore that it happens so you don't feel bad about giving your support to that person or you actually hold them accountable and be like yo no pulling my support back and I think a lot of people are just more comfortable just ignoring it because you're just like oh shit like I was okay with what they were doing like so many people like with like with R. Kelly the jokes about him having people in his basement, the jokes about him being a pedophile, the jokes about him literally paying up on them. Like, everyone just took that as a joke, even though they knew it was real. Everyone just took it as a joke because no one wanted to be like, like, I remember literally hearing my uncle being like, I don't want to have to find, like, another person to play the out. Stupid shit like that. Like, people are just more comfortable. I'll make you a playlist. <laughs> I will make you, listen, listen, listen. I will make you a playlist from literally anywhere in the world. I got you. It's just like, I feel like people have just been so much more comfortable just being like, you know what, I'm just going to ignore 
what this person has been saying. I'm just going to ignore what they've been doing. Why? Because their music is good. And I just don't, I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to talk about it. It's just, it's just so much. Like, let's not, let's not, let's not blame their art for their actions. Let's not like, hold their, their actions, actions accountable no. for their. It's like I don't know. Let's not hold these parts of them accountable, but exactly. like you can't, you can't do both. You just can't do both. So exactly. let's let's cancel cancel culture and let's call it just boycotting. Like make it make sense. <laughs> well, I think I think too though. Like I think you know, like Kenya, how you're saying where people just choose to ignore someone's behavior is something that people still do to each other even if you're not like a creator of some kind people are doing that all the time which is why rather than like and that's what people do to themselves too rather than um holding themselves accountable they choose to ignore their own behavior past behavior and that's when they choose to cancel other people or belittle other people rather than feeling like they can own up to what they've done and move on and be better like they don't want to take that like opportunity to do that and I think that's what's scary is that it's like we're doing that to like musicians and you know people are playing blurred lines all the time even though we know what that song's all about and it's just kind of like people do that to celebrities but we're now doing it to each other and like that's kind of like you don't hold the same weight with each other yeah we, we yeah, can't, and, can't DM Chris Brown and be like, hey, Chris, so, like, you know what right. I mean? But you know what hey, we buddy. can do? We can talk to our friend who's been, like, completely silent about things and been like, hey, why aren't, like, this is actually really important. Did you, did you know? And, and you know. Like, just have a conversation. It's not fun. I fucking hate having those conversations. I'm not right. good at it. I'm trying to get better at it. It's very difficult for me as a person of color to hold yeah. friends especially white friends or you know i mean like it, we've all experienced like brown and like telling your your other brown friends who you just be like oh well you know i thought you would have known this shit already but then like you know even then or family like cousins like there's there's so much anti-blackness in like the latinx community and that's just like un- like stays unaddressed so often and it's like hmm, black people are also like don't forget and it's very like easy to not think of black folks as also like mexican or latinx and that kind of thing and yeah those are conversations that we need to have with people who who were able to have those conversations Mm -hmm. and who want to i mean yeah it's tricky. It's it's. it's yeah, I, well, I feel like I think what we can take away from this is that um, the first thing that you need to do, rather than just canceling someone right away, is just kind of making like a checklist. And the idea, no matter how hard it is, of like making sure you've done what you can do to attempt to open up a communication with non-judgment and. Um, you know, see where they're coming from, where those opinions are, you know, being stated from, what their bias is, what your bias is, and try and come to an understanding before you think about, maybe I don't need this person in my life anymore, or maybe I just, I can't, like, I don't want to 
say can't agree because you know it's like you're you know you're talking about other human beings and their lives right now but it's like you know just don't think about canceling them as being like step one cancel you know (laughs) it's just like you know like think about a step-by-step process of how to do that and you know, I'm not trying to be like we need to come after this with love. We just need to be because <laughs> toxic positivity is a whole other thing. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a whole other thing we can get into some other time. But what I'm saying is, we will not get anywhere if you choose to just call someone an idiot and be done with it. You need, if you think that you are almighty and can call someone an idiot, I would hope that you can also educate them too. That's great. I love that. I love that. Let's end in an effort to stay fun, but also hold people accountable and hopefully inform folks. Um, we're going to do a little segment we like to call Let's Let's Unpack That. Let's Unpack That. We're going to go ahead and keep everyone's um, anonymity in place. We're not going to call any people out. We're not going to cancel anybody. We're just going to read some com- some real-life comments from our own media feeds that we have seen um, and just kind of address some fallacies or open up discussion for some how we could maybe approach talking to people who also think like this. Okay. Let's unpack it. So I have um, a Facebook status. Just an FYI, dot, 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 to any town, city, government, etc., that chooses to remove statues of historical significance because of political correctness. Send them my way, dot, dot, dot. I will give them a home. It is our history, and I refuse to let them be lost forever. And we have some nice comments talking about how... It's really nice to talk about how things were back then versus how they are now and that they are wiping out every bit of our history. Good or bad, it's still our history. And I also think too we can touch upon the idea that I love when like we we love when people say they without specifically stating who they are. Um, but yeah, that is the comment that I have brought to the table today um while this may be um like a a uh a structure that a person um put time into creating um that is not art that is a statement of uh hatred and it does not reflect anything good about um anything and they are taking these structures down um, to avoid it triggering people to take away that this is this means something completely different than the fact that it could be a guy on a horse. This this is not just like a guy on a horse. This this represents something much deeper and embedded in this culture's um, hatred. So um, I mean, if you want to keep that uh, statue, maybe in your little basement or garage, and lock it away. <laughs> you can have it. You can look at it all the time. It's just not going to be up in the middle of town, so that every 
person who has been affected by this has to look at it every day. So And where where every person who has not affected has yeah. been affected by it will not see that statue or more like whatever it is and think that that is a hero to them and yeah. someone that they should look up to. You know? It's kind of like let's we're just trying to like make it better. And especially, you know, everyone says good or bad, it's still our history. But if it's bad, wouldn't you as an American and as patriotic as you are want to make America better and, you know, remove the bad stuff? Maybe. I think a lot of it stems from like, this idea of what success is. Success is not inherently good or inherently bad. Hitler was successful. I think we can all agree that he was successful in his endeavors. They weren't good, but he was successful. Um, and I think that confused this idea of success in America and, like, all of these things kind of confuses people of, like, you know, oh, well, we conquered and we did this and, like, we have our own, like, trials and tribulations and, like, we fought and blah, 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 blah. So... So this comment, while it does upset me that people are so concerned with upholding these idols that caused a lot of harm for a lot of communities, I think my hope is, and I, and I, try, and I try to implement this approach as much as I can. I won't say that I do it well or I do it all the time. I don't. Um, but I try to be mindful of it, of asking a lot of questions before presenting a counter-argument. So to this person, I think it'd be interesting to ask them, you know, why do you, which part of history do you want to remember? What is, what is it that's so important to you? Not in, not in a harsh way, like, why do you want to do this? Like, why? you know, like, as if it's not important, because clearly they feel like it's very important. So I challenge them to think about why and what exactly they want to hold on to and if that's something that they want to continue doing. If so, then that person's just fucking racist and like, you can't do anything about it, you know? Paint your house like the Confederate flag. I don't fucking care. Like, that's your property. You do it, whatever you want to do. Buy all the statues and put them in your lawn like gargoyles. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but... I just, there, there's, sometimes when I, I know we're going to probably have a lot of comments like these when we, like, do these segments, but I'm just, like, I don't understand. Like, help me to understand, because, like, make it make sense, and I think the best way to do that is to have them do it, do, do a little bit of a thinking for you. Yeah. I have very strong opinions in terms of statues set as reminders for American history mm. and my main issue is that like Liz said they serve as a symbol of hatred and alienation desecration and murder and my biggest thing in terms of like the, the person who commented said like it's our history it's, it's so important, whether it's like good or bad, it's still our history we need to uphold it. My issue with that is the same issue I have like public education in terms of teaching only American history is because 
it's the fact that it's only one specific kind of history that is when they say they white folks they exactly the actual people who lived in america before christopher christopher columbus accidentally got here <laughs> is this sorry <laughs> but yeah no one very, so. i just have very strong um and very very angry opinions in that way because it's again saying that if you are not in this one specific class your history does not matter because mm. these people who are on statues have been glorified for literally eradicating humans like Christopher Columbus he's known as a great american hero for literally the destruction of indigenous peoples you have doctors who have statues who are being celebrated for using black women's bodies as cattle for experimentation you have people being celebrated for literally being murderers and so i'm gonna try to i'm gonna, I'm gonna try to keep this as like contained as possible because this this shit actually makes me cry because there are people who fight so hard to keep statues in place in the name of history when BIPOC was specifically speaking from a black woman's standpoint, black people, we weren't even allowed to keep our names. And yet you want to keep a statue of, of someone who enslaved millions. We're not allowed to keep the only part of African culture that Black Americans still have is literally our hair. And even that is trying to be taken away from us. But you want to keep a statue up to celebrate a very specific group of people that made your life a little bit more manageable. So, so I feel very strongly about that. Because if it's another another question I have is, what is it specifically to this person, and not in a way of malice, just what is it that makes this statue or this monument, what is it that makes it more important than the lives behind it? Like, why is it easier to acknowledge the, the infamous person that the statue represents? Why is it easier to swallow that pill than it is to take into account how they got that statue or that monument in the first place. And then if a monument is so important to a culture and to a history, why have, why has mine been taken down? And I'm not even just speaking from my African roots, I'm speaking from my indigenous roots, my Asian roots, my different heritages. Why, why, why does this American monument matter more than the ones you destroyed to build it on? That is. And why was that story? And like, well, like, why is that story glorified in history books? You know? Exactly. Like, like think about it all the way back to that, too, which can be a whole nother episode, you know? Right. I also and just like, think it's funny that, like, she's. <laughs> they. I don't know who this person is. Uh, <laughs> that they chose to say, like, any, any city any of them doing it like you don't even know 
what kind of statues <laughs> all the Swedes <laughs> have? <laughs> like, what, like, really, what is it that you want to? Like, yeah. And these are, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Like, if you are more upset, like Kenya said, if you are more upset about the destruction of fucking statues over human lives, the lives of brown and black people, then this is not a conversation that I am willing to have with you, right. personally. Yeah, because it's just a bit terrifying, isn't it? You scare me, yeah. Because <laughs> you scare me. <laughs> it's like, uh... <laughs> yeah. It's just very, to to me, like Amelia said, like you're more, you're more angry about the destruction of stone, of a, of a monument, than you are about the reasons being destroyed. That just means, like, to me, what you're telling me is, like, you, you you just told me how much you actually care about me and about my people and about other people. That, like, this statue may signify, like, greatness and triumph, and, like Amelia said, success, whether that be good or bad. To us, it doesn't signify any kind of success. It signifies just pure, unadulterated hatred. And just, just that, like, if you decide that you're going to be more angry about a Christopher Columbus statue going down than you are about the countless lives that ended at his hand, to me, that's telling me that you just, you just don't care about me or anyone else that these lives is affected. And it's not to say that, like, you know, everyone is 100% aware of everything that happens. Because, like, even, like, kids' history books... There's literally history books saying that Christopher Columbus came to America and that the Indians, <laughs> that the Indians <laughs> welcomed him and and they, they literally were like, oh yeah, they treated him like a god. You saw Pocahontas. Pocahontas was a real person who was 13 years old, who did not just marry John Smith because he was a handsome white man no she was kidnapped and stolen and it's just all that to say that if i don't i don't expect everyone to just know the exact history behind every monument put up because i don't i don't i can't even name two statues in buffalo new york i i can't but it's just the fact that it is public knowledge of why these monuments are being taken down and destroyed. And it's just you choosing to ignore that public information for the sake of preserve my history. It's like people who still wave the Confederate flag even though they lost. Yeah, and let's let's also remember that, because I was talking to Liz about this the other day, real quick before, before we wrap up, that the Confederate flag was literally used, like the actual Confederate flag that we see and exist today was used during the war for a very, very short amount of time. And not even like as a main flag, it was like a subgroup of people who used mm-hmm. that flag. So write that down and um, then realize <laughs> that later on, 
after the Civil War was over, that flag was used as means of intimidation to yes. let black folks know, if you come here, I'm going to fuck you up. That's what yes. that was. And that's how I feel driving around Boise, Idaho, when I see fucking men with giant peepees in their giant peepee trucks waving the Amer- like a big-ass American flag on their truck. Like, that's what I feel. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not you being patriotic. It's not you being proud of your country. It's you, you intimidating people who feel differently, who understand that this country is not all it's cracked up to be and want to make a change for a better life overall. It's, mm-hmm. not, a, it's not you being like, I am, I'm sick of this false patriotism of like, well, you know, loving America means loving it blindly and, you know, regardless of its history of all, and all of these things. And it's like, no, loving your country means making it a better place and caring enough to do that. Not trying to scare people with your big ass American flag. Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I, I, I don't like using the word hate, even though I say it a lot. I don't like using it because hate is a very strong emotion that takes so much time and so much energy behind it. But I genuinely hate the feeling that I get when I drive past somewhere and I see a big ass American flag on the front lawn. I live in a very predominantly white neighborhood. So there's a lot of that. And it's just, it's the people who celebrate a specific idea of this country, they scare the fuck out of me. That shit's terrifying because the people who celebrate this country as it is, that you, you the pick up uh, and uh, it's ironic. I don't know where because, it's no, yes, it's, it's ironic because the people who celebrate this country so blindly are also the same people benefit from m- it. M- more, more than more likely than not are the same people who are like anti maskers mm-hmm. and think that the government's trying to control them by making them wear a mask and Bill Gates is gonna microchip us all. Like, what? How can you be like, America's great, America's awesome, blah, 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 and when America's like, hey, we need you to wear a mask so that other people don't get sick, they're like, no! You're taking away my freedom! And it's like, chill out. Chill out, Suzanne. No one's taking your freedom. I saw this thing, I saw this thing, and um, the guy was talking, it was it was a Tim Tam, and the guy was talking about like, uh, like this, this, this one, Republican kid was talking about uh, pro-life and everything in terms of, he was using the pro-life argument, or he was using the pro-life, pro-choice argument to justify why he doesn't want to wear a mask. Because he was like, I don't want to wear a mask and I just don't want to have it on my body. That's my choice because, you know, pro-choice. That's what you guys always scream, right? And so the guy's like, incorrect. You are taking your whole pro-life argument and like so if you if your pro life argument were actually true, you would not be offended by wearing a mask to protect other people. That's that would be a pro life thing. If you're he's like the issue is most of us are not wearing masks to protect ourselves from the virus. We're wearing masks to protect other people from it. Because we don't know if we have it, if it's just like if we're just um symptomatic. We don't we don't know. We're wearing it because whatever fluids and everything that are contained in that mask, it 
lessens the chance of someone else catching it if we have it and we don't know it. Right. So it was just like, it's so crazy how people can take their own arguments and flip them and switch them around so much just and to make their own bullshit balance that they fail to recognize. Like I exactly. If you like, don't use pro-choice as a means to mask. You can't always like converse with, and that's really mm-hmm. frustrating. And it's really easy to feel like we're fucking crazy people when we involve ourselves in conversation with those kinds of people. So that's, I think, something, another thing to kind of take a step back and it's like, okay, <sighs> calling people out on social media and trying to like argue in Facebook comments yeah. isn't always helpful. It's mm-hmm. gonna be a waste of your energy and some people just aren't gonna listen. Even if you give them all of the facts and everything you say is correct and researched and found by unbiased sources, if they don't want to believe it, they are not going to. And that is when you have to walk away and go sign a petition or call the Louisville mayor or donate donate to the bail project or find out what's going on on indigenous lands that you can help out. Like those are things you need to take your energy elsewhere because that shit is not helpful for anybody and 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 i feel like this comment status maybe one of those people um again you never really know until you try but like recognize when that's happening and 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 take your energy out of it because it's not helpful (sighs) hate it i hate it here anyways (laughs) i think that was that's a good place. To I like that segment. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like it. Um, crazy shit. 